Lisa Morris and Jason Spafford are only partway through their adventure. They're from the UK. They're now in South America. And the interesting thing here is that Lisa is a brand new rider just for this trip. Jason is an experienced rider. So now you've got somebody who rides fairly slow and cautious as she works out how to ride through all the things that we learn as we ride motorcycles. And then you have Jason, who is an experienced rider who tends to ride faster. Throw into that the fact they're in foreign countries, they're dealing with all the stresses that go with a trip, and all the wonderful things that go with a trip. And you're going to hear in this interview how they deal with that. We're also going to talk about their bikes, modifications, and what it feels like to sell off your home and become a traveling nomad. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. Adventure Rider Radio. My name's Jason Spafford. Uh, I am Lisa Morris. I'm officially unemployed. You're just a travelling bum. I'm just a travelling bum. On yes. two wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that applies to me too. In a few minutes, we're going to head to South America and talk to Leeson and Jason. But before we do, I've got something special for you here. There's a real craze going on, tongue-in-cheek, for aluminum tank boxes. That's right. I said tank boxes. I didn't say tank bag, tank boxes. Now, you remember Graham Field a couple of episodes ago. He uh, is a, an adventure writer. He is an author as well. He's got a few great books out. He's got a tank box that he had welded up out of aluminum. Now, you're going to hear in this conversation that I got quite a chuckle out of it. But the fact of the matter is, this could be a new craze. And if it is, you're going to hear it first here on Adventure Rider Radio. Listen in on me talking with Graham Field. So I'm here with Graham Field, and we're talking about the latest craze in the UK, which seems to be aluminum tank bags. <laughs> now, I, I don't know how much of a craze it is, but when I saw the photo of it, I was just completely taken by this thing and thought, well, what, maybe, and I had to talk to him. Graham, how are you? Welcome back. Hi, I'm good. <laughs> so the aluminum tank bag, let's first of all, let's just start with a description. Can you tell us what this thing is? Right. Well, firstly, if it is a craze, it's a very elite craze. I'm the only person I know who's got one. <laughs> so, um, what it is, um, it's quite a large shape box. Uh, it's a KLR650 that I ride, and it's got an aftermarket IMS tank on it, so a pretty big tank. And I have broken on the road quite a few cameras over the years. And um, I really enjoy my photography, and I like to have sort of a half-decent camera. And anyway, I've got now quite a nice Canon camera with quite a, a attention-seeking L-series lens, which I did not want to get broken. So I designed in my head over thousands of miles a tank box that would sit on top of my tank, which, number one, gave me instant access to the camera. When I went in to pull it out, it wouldn't get tangled up with sunglasses and lip balm and whatever else you keep in your tank bag. I also wanted it to be shockproof and waterproof, and I wanted an element of security as well if I came off my bike. So I know someone who does fabrication, who does panniers and various other aftermarket bits for overland bikes, and I went with my idea 
and said, right, this is what I want. And I, I think to a degree he humoured me because it was business and he can't afford to turn any business away. But I made a cardboard sort of stencil replica of, of what we wanted. Um, and it was really important because it's quite a big lens that this camera sits down on its lens right in front of my chest, which is the deepest part of the tank box. And so if you're looking down on it, you're looking down on the back of the camera. And it was really important that the tank box was the minimum size it could be, but it would accommodate my camera and lens. And also the reason I have this lens, it's a 35-350 lens. So it's pretty universal. I don't have to keep changing lenses. And that means there's less chance of dust getting in. So that was the reason I, I wanted to stick with this. So just before I left on the last trip, this bloody great box arrives from a courier and I thought Jesus I hope there's a lot of padding in there because that box is huge I hope there's a lot of packaging and when I took it out there was but it's still a really big box but I decided I was going to fit it on my box with the little snap clips that um, you use on backpacks around your waist just to hold it on. So there's two at the front and there's one at the back just in, in front of my chest. And that's how it snaps on. So it comes off really easily. So if you want to fill up with fuel or if you just want to take it with you, if you're going to check into a hotel or something, it comes off really easy. Now, this and, and then I put my camera in and it fitted in perfect. And I used the um, when you lie um, under floor like wooden or wooden, uh, what they call it, hardwood floors, you can get this sort of sticky backed foam that you put on the floor first before you put your floorboards down, which just gives it a bit of insulation and a bit of uh, suspension on the floor. So I covered the inside of this aluminium tank box with that. So it was shockproof and it already had the seal. So it was waterproof and dustproof and put it in place on my bike. And it just did exactly what I wanted it to do. It was perfect. And um, I was so proud of it. I was so happy. And I started putting it on KLR forums and that just to give my mate some business and oh my god what a complete naysayer magnet it turned out to be i was just bombarded by those people who live on forums just to slag off what everybody else does the people who never go anywhere but are just there in front of the keyboard ready to be negative at anything that possibly challenges what is normal and uh, i was i was really deflated i was so proud of it and it was my baby, and it was it was it was tantamount to me looking inside the pram of a of a of a proud mother and saying, "Well, that's going to cause you trouble when it's in its teens, or that's going to cost you." You know, it was my tank box, it was my baby, and I was so proud of it. And I was really defending it um, passionately. Anyway, it, uh, I put it on the bike. It was great. Went off on my trip. And I must admit that there's a photo which I might share for your website if you want of, of me sitting before I left. It was a cold day before I left England. I had a lot of clothes on and it does look really bulky. This thing is sitting just in front of my chest and and then it and then it sort of goes off sort of towards the, the screen of, of the bike. Um, but when I'm riding it, I do not feel it. I, no part of my body touches it and I cannot see it at all other than looking down on the map holder that I've stuck on the top and the only downside which we couldn't possibly have foreseen when we when we designed it is that because it's sloped down each side of the tank when the when the wind is cold you get this downdraft of air that comes down onto the tops of your legs but yeah we couldn't have we couldn't have possibly foreseen that and it's not really a problem so it performed perfectly and I dropped my bike a lot in Georgia, certainly in, in Albania. I was always coming off it. And 
my camera never suffered. It was always accessible. The tank box never, because that was one of the things on the forums. Oh, that will hurt if you fall off. It's like, well, the ground hurts if you fall off. How are you going to eliminate the ground? You know, it's the, you. And, and anyway, and they say, well, you know, they're really going to break your chest if you go into it. Well, I've got maybe three inches before my chest will hit it. I can't build up an awful lot of speed in that three inches. If I didn't have it there, I would get an awful lot more velocity before I hit something more solid further forward on the bike. So, I mean, OK, I, I had an argument for everybody's naysaying negativity, but it did. It works spectacularly well. And it is a bit of a... Well, it's, it's very obvious, as you've seen the pictures, and, and people do <laughs> take a, do a double take. What the hell is that? And I was I, I was getting quite um, quite uppity about it to the point where, do not diss the tank box, you know? And I was really, I'd lost all my sense of humour about it because I was getting fed up of it. But I think I've calmed down a bit, and people are now also a little bit more understanding of what it is and why it is. And I don't ever expect it to go into mass production. I certainly don't expect it to become a craze, although if it is, I guess I'm the leader, but I very much doubt it will be. And um, and it was built for my specific reasons. It works spectacularly. Also, when I rode with another person I met who was also into his photography, kept his camera, his, his uh, digital SLR in his tank bag, I would stop open the lid, whip out my camera, get that spontaneous quick shot of wildlife or whatever it was, while he is doing exactly what I used to do, prattling around with sunglasses, getting wrapped around straps and, and, and stuff like that. So it did what it was designed to do. It works perfectly, and I'll take it on my next trip. And I can't give it a better accolade than that. So, yeah, that's the story of the tank box. Well, that's the final um, really evaluation, isn't it? When you've taken it on a trip and you find it works. I know when, when I first saw it, the first photo I saw of it, it, it sort of took me aback and, and I couldn't help but get this image of, of welded aluminum sh- underwear out of my mind thinking <laughs> that, that somehow, the, <laughs> somehow the two seemed to, well, that, to that, go that's together. That's your thing, Jim. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that seems about as, as, about as, as normal as welded aluminum underwear, but... You know, I, and I really thought about it and I thought, well, I can't really come up with a, I mean, I thought of the, the impact thing as well. Like I thought, well, what about if you came off? And I thought you could always put it on with, with straps or Velcro, it would come off as well. And I don't know how valid that is, but really that's what it comes down to. You took it on a trip. It worked amazing. It did exactly what you wanted to do. And now all we have to wait for is the craze and listeners can say they heard it here first on Adventure Rider Radio. They, uh, they heard the start of the whole aluminum tank bag i even have trouble saying that aluminum tank bag <laughs> Crazy. Well, yeah well, I mean, we, we luckily we call it aluminium over here but we and also i tend to call it a tank box because a bag is not i think a solid bag becomes a box right. doesn't it so right. um, but um but i think you know any any leaders of fashion are always going to be ridiculed by what they do and i'll take that ridicule <laughs> you know if everybody copies i will sit and gloat and if they don't then oh well you know it was never made to be a fashion item anyway <laughs> that's fantastic well there it is gramfield the leader of fashion in aluminum tank boxes or as the people in the uk pronounce aluminium thanks graham okay nice one speak to you later jim okay cheers <laughs> bye <laughs> So there you have it. If you thought I was kidding, well, now you know I wasn't. And if you're interested in what this thing looks like, 
Check out our website because we'll post a photo of it on there and you can see what Graham Field's aluminum tank box looks like. You can also visit his website. It's grahamfield.co.uk and you certainly should go check it out. He's got a couple of great books you'll want to look at. Off we go to South America where Lisa Morris and Jason Spafford wait by the telephone. Hello. Is that Jim? Lisa Morris and Jason Spafford, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Before we get into the trip, tell us a bit about yourselves. My name's Jason Spafford. Um, I'm from Nottingham in the UK. Uh, well, I am, I'm sort of retired, I suppose, <laughs> until I go back to the UK. So I'm, I'm on a, uh, I quit my job. And uh, so I'm, I suppose I'm officially unemployed. You're just a travelling bum. I'm just a travelling bum. On yes. two wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess that's, I guess that applies to me too. Uh, I am Lisa Morris and I was born in Blackpool, uh, lived in Nottingham the last few years with uh, my partner Jace. And I too, uh, uh, actually I didn't, I didn't officially quit my job. I, I got a sabbatical from my employer as a civil servant worked for the government in education. So officially I'm 18 months um, allowed to um, join Jason on this on this trip and uh, I too am retired uh, as well. Tell me about what it's like to ride on a ship for one month on a motorcycle trip. Um, well, we, we, we were getting uh, teased in the UK about um, our trip on a container ship that we'd obviously be having to uh, swab the decks and we'd probably have to spend a month inside the container with our bikes. Well, it was nothing like that. I, I like to, I like to uh, describe it as a poor man's cruise. Um, we had uh, a lovely cabin. Uh, we had three meals a day. Good table wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had a ping pong table. Yeah, we had, well, there, there was a gymnasium. It, was, it wasn't the best gymnasium. Um, we obviously had plenty of time to read books, watch videos. What we should have been doing, Jim, is learning Spanish. What we, what we were doing instead was is playing ping pong, play, <laughs> playing hide and seek. There were, were, were 13 decks to play on, get lost in. Um, and, and, you know, there was, there was one other couple on board. They were a really lovely English-speaking French couple. And so they, they um, helped really keep the, those um, at-sea blues at bay. And, and saved us getting fathoms deep in um, boredom. I, I three, three weeks was great, but in the fourth week, we were pretty much ready to get off, weren't we? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the boat didn't go direct from Belgium to Montevideo. It actually went down the west coast of Africa. We stopped off uh, in um, Dakar in Senegal because the, 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 their main business is obviously cargo. So we, we have to go from port to port. And eventually when we get to the port we want to get off at, then that's when we leave. So we went to um, Dakar, then we went across to Brazil, to Santos, then Paranagua. Mm. Then we went to Zarate in Argentina. And then finally to Montevideo in Uruguay, where we uh, disembarked. But as Lisa was saying, the last the last week was we were ready to leave. But up till then, you know, it was great. We could whale watch. We could sit out on deck in the sun. Um, and, and you know, we even we even did things like we were helping the crew out with their little jobs, so they they'd have to constantly maintain and upkeep um, the boat. So they'd be painting a few days, and we'd we'd join them, and we'd actually we actually ended up asking, is there any work for us to do? Because you know, we, we really need something to occupy our minds. We'd, there's only so many books you can read, isn't there? Day in, day out. Um, but we, you know, we also um, we also got to hang out with the crew in their quarters. Um, a few of the younger Philippines 
Filipino crew, half were Filipino and half were Italian. And I'd say the Filipino a little bit more than the Italians really enjoyed engaging in karaoke every night. And the only way I was allowed to hang out with them is if it was was by promising to, to give them a, a couple of songs or two on karaoke. So there, there I was with with my uh, with my worst singing voice ever, singing Kylie Minogue along with the, a couple of the Filipino guys. But you know, you, you do what you have to, don't you? <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like a perfect vacation. I mean, that's. Let's talk for a minute about just life before you decided to go and why you decided to take this trip. Maybe we start with Jason on this. Um. We'd uh, we'd always had the wanderlust. We'd settled back into UK life after spending 13 months backpacking around uh, Asia, Australia and New Zealand about five years ago. And then it suddenly dawned on us that this is not really what we want. And um, we we decided to sell the house. And that was then, uh, well, that allowed us then to think about other things. And we thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to go traveling again and uh, watching videos um, about motorcycle travel, i.e., Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, Borman and their around the world trip. I just thought, well, this this seems a great way to travel. I, I, to to be honest, I'd never considered motorcycle travel because I just thought the the logistical nightmare of of traveling from one country to the next with your own motorbike was was just too great. But having witnessed uh, other people doing it, I just thought, well, well, if they can do it, then it must be it must be possible to do. So so then the the seed was was basically sown and we we decided that that's what we wanted to do and um and we went full out for it then we sold the house we sold quite a lot of our possessions put what we had left into storage and and here we are lisa springboarding then off jason's um response i too felt exactly like jace you know we'd we got a little bit caught up on the rat wheel um you know worrying about all the, the mainstream matters of of you know the average brit in terms of work bills, you know, thinking of some short-term imaginative weekend play before, I, I guess that cycle's put on repeat again. And and we, you know, everything, all the all the pieces of the jigsaw for us in our lives seem to seem to fit into place. And you know, we we had no, obviously, we've got no children, and uh, we sold the house. We're not married. We're you know, everything seemed to fit in our lives so that we could you know take take um take some time out. And and two years ago. I actually um, was was um, was more than content as as Jason's pillion. You know, I'd never ridden anything before, other than you know a, a push bike, and it never really occurred to me to to do anything else. I was I was happy on the back of Jason's bike, seeing seeing the 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 world from the view of the back of his head, and 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 everything else that you, that you get on terms in terms of being a pillion. You know, you get the best of all worlds, don't you? And in all honesty, um, learning to ride a bike for me was was a complete accident. I, I joined Jason one year at um, a motorcycle event, um, at a motorcycle show, and I scribbled my name down on um, a, in, in a competition and actually ended up winning the runner-up prize of a morning's wobbling on two wheels. And for me, um, it, it wasn't exactly a runner-up prize because I ended up absolutely loving this taster session. Um, Jason had grave reservations about me getting on a motorbike, and, and I'm absolutely not surprised. I'm not the most naturally balanced person in, in the world upon two wheels. But I passed first time, ended up investing in my F650GS, who I now lovingly refer to as Pearl. Um, and, and you know, and after taking a, a little crash 
crash course, a little intensive course off-road riding, I've, I've absolutely never looked back. And, and the, you know, because I've accidentally learned to ride a motorbike, it then just opened up such a massive window of opportunity to, you know, we've got two bikes and all the benefits of having two bikes in terms of being able to carry a little bit more equipment, a bit more gear, being self-sufficient and, you know, having one bike to um, help you out in case another one, in case the other one breaks down. Um, you know, it all just, um, it all just went from there and, and absolutely fell into place for us. It's been, um, yeah, it's been a pretty uh, intensive two years, but, um, you know, we, we just, we just couldn't be more happier at the moment because of the way it's all worked out. So you took a crash course on motorcycle riding, and I saw some of the pictures on the uh, <laughs> on your website, and it was actually you crashing. So that's interesting. But Lisa, let's talk for a minute about what the, what's that like. Let, let's get a time frame here. So you went when and got your license, and how long have you been riding? Yeah. Okay. Um, July 2012, I ended up passing my test, and since. Um, and it, since passing my test, I, I took my test on a one two five. Took things really easy for a, a, quite a while. Tried to try to just get a feel for riding riding a motorcycle. And then um, fair, fair, a couple of a few months afterwards, um, I then upgraded to the six fifty. Um, and, and Jason said, "Look, Lisa, if if you know if if we are going to make this trip, um, a, a, you know, a two a two motorcycle person trip, then." Uh, he, he suggested, "Why don't I go on an off-road course with the with Simon Pavey?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, probably that's a really good idea, so that I don't, you know, freak out from day one of riding all the loose gravel, the sand, the dirt, the mud, all the all the unpaved roads that we're coming across right now." Um, and it, uh, yeah, I guess t- yeah, just over two years ago, um, it, it 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 all happened. So two years riding the bike, mm-hmm. and now um, you find yourself on an adventure um, riding every single day. What is that like? I mean, you must have went through some incredible transitions here from being the, the newbie that um, has to concentrate on everything to hopefully now to being quite experienced. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, firstly, ca- careening over all the loose gravel, which is known as repio over here in South America, I think pretty much surfaced some dual frustrations um it was absolutely like the tortoise and the hare scenario initially you know what was punishingly grueling for me was was just a pleasure ride for Jason it was so frustrating in the beginning I've had to bite my tongue so many times when Jason's been telling me to suck it up princess (laughs) and uh, you know one day one day I, I vow to myself you know that he will eat my dust one day um, in fact, you know, on on one occasion, I'd say a good two three months into the into the journey that we're on now, um, you know, I I basically I just had had a bit of a a life changing moment. Where I think I had actually a mini epiphany. I, I basically, I just one day um, started to relax on uh, on on the gravel, and you know, all the gravel that's accompanied by all the corrugations, the sand. The loose sand and, and the mud and the dirt and everything else I just decided one day to give Pearl my, my bike an absolute handful got her into th- got, got her 
out of second gear, got it into third. And I just basically found this um, this buzz after being so tentative and nervous, I guess, off road for so many weeks. Something just clicked and I was, yeah, absolutely having a bit of a mini epiphany, I think. And just in really, just really in start, started to enjoy myself um, on, on the rugged terrain. It, you know, what was what was what was my um, fearful foe in the beginning then just you know that now has become a fond friend of mine you know I prefer off-road riding now to 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 the to the more plain uh plainer riding of tarmac and I never thought I'd hear myself say that but um it's true it's now true so yeah I've um I've had quite an intensive learning curve you could say but it's one that I think that um you know is is very good soul food really yeah, didn't happen straight away. <laughs> it, it took it took hours in the saddle off road to to start feeling comfortable. Um, good few months, I would say. Yeah, we've been on the road. Um, I think that the total journey has been over six, just over six months now. Um, we've been on the road for just over five. So it took yeah between two and three months um, before I decided to um, to start listening to what Jason's been urging me to do, um, and and you know. To, to, to be able to put into practice as well you know I it's not that I didn't understand that, that his advice is you know he was he was um Jason you know Jason's been helping me out constantly mentoring me we've got um intercom system on our helmets and it's and it's not a case of that I, you know I couldn't hear the words the words were going in it's just that physical application isn't it of um you know applying what someone's trying to tell you with the best of intentions and it is sometimes quite difficult to listen to your partner and say yeah sure okay I'll do that <laughs> sometimes you just don't want to be told what to do it's <laughs> you know it's it's it hasn't been easy but it's been absolutely worth every every second of um you know a bit of frustration and uh uh just in terms of I guess Put it, putting into practice and, and finally being able to, to do what I've, what I've been asked to do. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's worked out. It's worked out. The reason I ask is for all those people who might be going through the same thing. And incidentally, my wife is about to go through that because she has decided that she wants to get her license. Um, so she's going to be interested in listening to what you have to say about it as well. Oh, good God, I hope I haven't put her off. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know I'm, more, I'm more of a positive. You know, we've got, we've had... Um, you know we've had all this you know spontaneity of of you know we're, we're riding both both riding our own bikes and in terms of your wife wanting to to, to join you you know you, you're gonna be suddenly hit with this amazing you know um opportunity for uh, and this I guess leads into a little you know I, I'm sorry if I'm digressing but this leads into uh, ride motorcycle riding as a couple you know you've got constant companionship with one another you know we've we've been together 14 years and and two-wheel travel will will give you the most unexpected and amazing experiences that you'll share all these phenomenal firsts on the road you know you know riding will the riding roads that we that we that we're on no matter where you are I think will still wow will wow you um to the absolute core you know we're very lucky to share all of that and I guess take it you know we take it for granted that one can turn around to the other we can grin we can go up at, at something we can chat down the helmets intercom for hours on end if we choose and essentially you know we're wanting to see uh, the same countries, we're, we're, you know, we're living out this adventure side by side by the same means. And, you know, it's the, I think it's the best thing we've ever, ever done together. But, you know, on the flip side of that, the, the worst thing about travelling as a motorcycle couple, I guess, you know, is, is the constant companionship as well. <laughs> you know, you're with your marvellous other 24-7 
and you you know you are trying to stay sane with one another um you know you're riding you're riding through this roller coaster of emotions that or at least I have been and you know you're riding through foreign lands sometimes in unpredictable conditions you know it's going to test your relationships uppermost limits of forbearance and and your, your own resolve but, but at the end of the day you know that the pair of us are absolutely improving at recognizing each other's sources of irritation even when we each become one but uh but yeah no i'd say it's um you know, it, everybody should should um should try everybody should try um try adventure motorcycling if not at least just 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 give riding on two wheels a go you know what what, what have you got to lose that's an interesting insight there you're saying about um, about it being, you know, the best companion and the worst companion in a, in a way. So, Jason, now let me get your perspective on this. What was it like for you? Because for me, I'm apprehensive. I, I mean, I, I desperately want her to get her license. I mean, it's fantastic. And I want my wife to ride with me on her own motorcycle. But along with it come all these these concerns that I have. Did you have concerns and what were they? Yes, I had, I had concerns. I had grave reservations about Lisa riding a bike, to be honest. <laughs> um, and, and that's not because I, I obviously didn't know her, her motorcycling ability initially, but it, it's that it, I suppose it's that um, chest beating, protect your woman kind of, um, I don't know, the, the, the deep rooted protection, um, that feeling you get uh, with when you're in a couple, I don't know, maybe I'm just a, t- a traditional kind of guy, but uh, I uh, I wanted to protect her and I didn't want her to get hurt in any way, but at the same time I wanted to encourage her. So um, I was very protective of her initially in, in the beginning, but then she started to show her motorcycling ability, so I relaxed a little bit more. And I mean, even now, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to guide her... Um, if I can, without being too patronising, um, <laughs> but um, because it's that inbuilt um, thing in me that I, I, you know, I, I, I introduced her to motorcycling. Yes, she took the initiative and decided to take her test, but almost I feel responsible for the fact that you know um, she's now a motorcyclist through me. I don't think Lisa would have entertained the idea had she not we we not been together. Um, so I, I do, I do feel that responsibility. Um, but now, um, I feel I can relax a little bit more. She's now coming into her own and, and she's had such a steep learning curve. Uh, and you know, there's been a few tears, there's been a few tantrums. Snotting and screaming <laughs> down the Scala, Scala ride at Intercom. <laughs> um, but she's now, um, yeah, you know, she's, she's, she's a good rider. Um, thank you very much. And, um, and most of the places we go now, she can pretty much do. Um, my only other concern was um, issues with um, being in the middle of nowhere and, and maybe taking on more than, than you know she can chew and we being left. That was my only concern. Well, they're my real concerns now is if I pick a road on a map and I think, well, okay, we can go from A to B, um, it's quite remote we should be okay. And then Lisa's having trouble and she slows right down. My concern then is, blimey, you know, have we got enough food? Have we got enough water? Are we going to get to to the, the next place? Um, Bikes overheating. Yeah. So um, I think they're my only concerns now is, is, is picking a road that's not too far 
and and it's always very difficult to look at a map and think, okay, we can go from here to here, and this this is going to take us X amount of time, when um, you don't really know the the conditions until you're actually on that road. So, um, I suppose I suppose everything else apart from Lisa's riding ability is fine. I suppose now my only concerns are is is picking a road and then overestimating how long it's it's going to take us to to get from A to B. You're referring to because Lisa rides slower than you. Yeah, she rides slower than me, and she's very cautious. If there's if there's a bit of sand on the road, that this will this will make her slow right down. And if there's a lot of sand on the road, that can be the difference between getting from A to B in six hours, or not even getting to you know not getting to B on the same day. And we can only carry so much food, and we can only carry so much water. Do you find that frustrating when you're slowed down because Lisa's slower? Yeah, yeah, and and yes, I do actually. It's it's um, <laughs> but it's no it's no fault of Lisa's. It's just we've got we're at the moment we've we've got two different riding abilities, and um, if sometimes I may have overestimated the the, the time it will take and um, or underestimated depending on how you look at it, um, and and then I find myself getting frustrated with Lisa because. I need to, I feel like I can, I'm putting us in a situation that, you know, may not be very nice because I've overestimated the distance between A and B, so or underestimated the distance, sorry. Yeah, and, and I'd add to that as well. I'm on a 13-year-old 650. Jason's on a, a relatively new 800. He's got riding prowess that, that I don't, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, um, it's just a balance, isn't it? Jason is very patient, ninety-nine uh, percent of the time, and I and I'm doing my best to keep pace. And you know, there's no rush. We're not in any hurry. But when we are in desert isolation, you do have to think about the magnitude, the seriousness of where you are. I guess, don't you as well? It's not all um, we can just cruise at twenty miles an hour. We have to um, sometimes we have to make headway and and I and I appreciate that but it's also a little bit scary sometimes to to think right okay I really just have to knuckle down now and and it, you know as soon as I started opening Pearl up and, and riding at a faster speed it's it's I finding I'm finding it so much safer and I'm in more control you know the, the there's less strain on, on on me on my body and and on the bike you know you're skimming over corrugations as opposed to feeling every single jolting um, you know, lump and bump. So yeah, um, as, as soon as I guess you're ready to take that leap of faith, life just becomes simple. And I'm, and I'm thinking the whole time now, wow, I was making life hard on myself by, you know, kind of dawdling on the bike. As soon as you get, as soon as you get a bit of speed up and then you find it's, it's a whole lot easier. We've all been through the the learning curve when riding motorcycles. Everybody has, and everyone will if you want to learn to ride. That's just part of it. But it's something to learn it on a trip that you're on right now. I mean, uh, I tell you, I, I think um, you must be quite a person, Lisa, to to be able to go and, and put yourself that far out of your comfort zone. I mean, that, that's what we're all worried about all the time is putting ourselves to the edge of our comfort zone. And, and you've got, you're doing the maximum there. You're really out there. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, I am doing stuff that scares me most days, but isn't that the best thing about it all? That you, you know, you're you're outside your comfort zone, but all those unknowns that coexist outside your comfort zone is is um is for me, um what what provides so many 
amazing first for, 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 for oh, and I guess Jason's do is the same as well. We you know we're both experiencing all these incredible firsts, you know, it breeds so much excitement living um, outside walls and windows. You, we, we're in the environment the whole time. It's, you know, I just, I'm, I, we, I guess we're just becoming the most contented versions of ourselves. It, it is the most grueling thing we've ever done, but it is also the most rewarding thing we've ever, ever done. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, it is, it is a gamble as well. It was, a, it was always a gamble how I would fare, uh, short, medium, and long term the saddle. But you know, you you've got to take the odd risk, haven't you? And not all risks lead to ruin. And this one is, thank goodness, paid off. Lisa, I, I want to just go back to your riding. Um, there was something I wanted to ask you about: what it was like, or what it is like for you dealing with crashes, dealing with picking your bike up. Um, how does that work when you're going down? Are you waiting for Jason to come back to help you pick up the bike? Are you managing to pick up the bike on your own? How does that feel for you? Well, it's the other way around, I think. I think I wait for Lisa to help me pick my bike up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yesterday. Was it yesterday? No, two days ago, sorry. When we were we were, take, we were taking an old section, an unused section of the Route of 40, which joined um, Route of 51. And this was all um, kind of backcountry, um, all, all uh, unpaved roads. And we were um, slowly meandering our way through, going over... Um, compacted dirt, quite a lot of sand um, over icy streams, which were crusted over in ice. You know, and, and I thought, whoa, this is um, this is really stretching me. And so, you know, t- taking it easy and trying to really get into the feel of um, just relaxing and, and off, and off, I, off I go sort of thing. But of course, I got caught out. I lost, I lost control and 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 fell under my bike. Jason, you know, rushed over like my knight in shining armor, and he, and I, and I, and I was smiling. I was literally a damsel, smiling damsel wedged in the dirt, and I was smiling. And I, and I would have started picking my own bike up, but I was actually wedged underneath her, and I couldn't move. So on that occasion, Jason did help uh, lift my bike up, and he always does. To be fair, you know, I, uh, you know, there's two, two. Well, he's got a strong pair of hands. He's got a bit of strength behind him. Then. You know, why not sort of thing? You know, he's um, it's what he's there for, really. <laughs> I, I think I think it's more the other way around. When my bike goes over, which it goes over a lot, because unfortunately I'm vertically challenged at uh, five foot eight and a peanut, and um, and my seat, well, uh, the F eight hundred is a particularly tall bike. So if I don't um, park my bike on level ground and there's a slight camber. I put my foot down and there's nothing there. The bike goes over and I can't, you know, it's, it's, I can pick it up on my own, but it takes all my strength to get it up. So uh, I have to, um, um, I have to get Lisa to help me um, pick the bike up. So, yeah, we're pretty good at, we're pretty good at helping each other pick it, our bikes up. You know, we're never, we're never, um, you know, we never just watch, watch the other person struggle sort of thing. Um, but yeah, right. It, it is. You know, I used to, I used to, I used to live in constant fear for the first few weeks of of what it would feel like. It's just the prospect, isn't it? The fear of going over, of falling over, off your bike. But but to be honest with you, I'm ne- I'm never really going that fast. And so when I, when I do go over an hour, I don't I don't really worry as much as I used to. And it and it's um and touch wood, you know, so fast, so good. You know, my bike hasn't somersaulted on top of my head. You know, we we always go down quite gently together. I don't mean to diminish the um, dangers of risk, but there is something to be said 
for pushing ourselves to that point where it feels a bit of a risk. Isn't that why most people end up doing a trip like yours? Because we find ourselves in a situation where, I mean, you said it yourself, that um, you fell into the, you know, the mundane or the routine or whatever it was and figure there has to be something bigger or something better or something more exciting way to live our life. We're on a one-shot deal here. We're not getting a second chance. We're not coming back. We're not doing a game over and start again. We're getting one shot at it. So you really have to think about that, don't you? And, and you really have to push it. And I admire people like yourselves who have, you know, done just that. You're going and you're living life on the edge. I know there's people out there who will say, you know, well, if something goes wrong, they'll say, see, that's why you shouldn't do it. But you could look at anything in life and say the same thing. You could look at any activity at all. Let me just take you back for a moment. When you were talking about getting ready to go and you got tired with life the way it was and looking for something different, what was it like to sell your house? Your house is that security. It's that thing that makes everyone feel like they they have that place to go. It's a social recognition as well, where people uh, you know uh, tend to look at it as a status symbol. You own a house, whether you're paying for it or not. You, you own a house and it's yours. What was it like to sell that, to give everything up and, and sort of step out into the unknown i think for us it was quite easy we we met each other on a, a scuba diving holiday in 2000 and f- since then our passion has took us all over the world so we've actually spent quite a bit of time out of the uk and yeah you're right about the house being a, a status symbol and 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 it's an asset and, and people spend their entire lives working towards paying that that mortgage off so they've got that security. But um, for, for us, we didn't actually use the money that we, um, the money we got for the house. We, we've not actually used it for, a, for this trip so far. We, we already had savings. We'd already worked hard for a good two years, saving, saving, saving. So that money is really still in the bank. Um, so we can always come back and, and buy another house. Um, I know. I know. For, for some people, that's that, that's different. Maybe they they don't have the savings and they have to sell their house if they want to do a trip like this. But um, one thing that I've learned, and and I think I, I suppose this is how we're conditioned in the Western world, is that that home ownership is one thing that you, you know is being indoctrinated into us that you know you've got to you've got to have your own home and um the places we're going to you know people don't have their own homes you know they're um the best they can do is rent and um and for me it's opened my eyes up to uh home ownership and it's it's such a tie for us um working our entire lives to pay off a mortgage uh when we could be doing other things with our lives um, like what we're doing now, which frees you up, um, not just physically, but mentally, when you don't own a house. It's very liberating. Uh, in fact, we own very little now. And um, I, I, I think I'm happier now, now I own less, than when I, when I owned you know, a house, a car, and all the debt that came with it. And, and as well, you know, what what we're carrying with us on the back of our motorcycles is, is really ev- everything we, we really need. I'm fiercely protective there over all our stuff that we are carrying. You know, it's hard to let, it's hard to let, the, you know, the bikes and the stuff inside out of our sight, you know, and, and I think people have, have previously compared, you know, when you, when you're on a bike, you know, you sort of treat, treat them like children, don't you? Um, 
because you know they are expensive and and they are your world aren't they my, my bike is is my home and and she's she's everything to me and, and everything that she's carrying so yeah I'm fiercely protective and and over the stuff that we've got but the, the house that we actually sold um just get, going back a step um was my first home that was my first time on the, the the property ladder and and the house was a um early 19th century cottage in a beautiful rural part of uh, Nottinghamshire and it, and I thought it was going to be a, a massive bind a massive um upheaval to to let go of that but but when but but I lived there for a few years and I, and I loved living there but then when I sold when we sold the house the cottage um it, it, I got this amazing I just got this just got this diff- different feeling I never expected to get I just got this feeling of right okay We've got total freedom now. We've got total freedom to redesign our lives and get out there and and start, you know, and start this autonomous way of living. So yeah, I I have no regrets at all. And of course, you know, we're not fortunately at the moment we're not, um, you know, in our sixties, seventies. We're not in our the late the later days of our life. We can always come back and we can always start again if we want to, or we could just. Um, build a house on a hill in Peru. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen, do you? I think the, the, the way the Western world views um, success through through um, possessions and status, um, I think, is 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 a path that we're going down, which I think we need to reverse slightly. Um, our our our, um, our belief that the things we own. Are the things that are going to bring us happiness, but for me, the the things that I own are end up owning me, because you worry about them. You 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 have to spend money to look after them, um, and and for me, it's a crazy system uh, of 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 ownership where um, these things you think these things are going to bring you pleasure, and and yes, for for a small for a while they may bring you pleasure but ultimately they're not going to make you happy so and i realized this a long time ago i did we like lisa was saying we had the the pretty house and we had um the nice things but i still wasn't contented i still wasn't happy um so i thought well i i need to get rid of these things and i need to go and do something else because obviously um, I'm do, I'm doing the wrong thing. So so for me that, that realization it was quite easy for me to get get rid of things because at the end of the day it's just stuff. Interesting how things can uh, things like that can make us happy but not make us feel fulfilled. What were your fears before you left, and um, were they justified? I mean, I think you've you've sort of said nothing was justified, but what were the fears before you left? Um, the the fears that. Um, the bike would break down uh, and we wouldn't be able to fix it. Um, the uh, fear that um, the, the trip would be overwhelming, uh, the problems would be just too much for us to, to handle um, and that would cause uh, the trip to become miserable and hard work and... Um, I think I think they, in a nutshell, that it was just the the fear that I, I wasn't capable of doing this trip, um, that there would be something that I couldn't handle. Like uh, up to now, we we haven't had any problems with border officials or um, uh, problems with the police. I 
having an accident as well was was um, a fear, uh, and and I suppose in a way that that's still a fear. You know, we don't want to have an accident. We don't want to get hurt. Um, we've done some very challenging riding, and and to date, Touchwood, we're 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 fine. We're enjoying it, um, and traveling through foreign lands without having um, a grasp of the language um, was also uh, a slight concern, but. It's amazing how how you can make yourself understood with just gestures and our Spanish. I mean, we, we, we've got a lot more Spanish now than we, than we had when we left. So we're not fluent, but we can we can make ourselves understood with what Spanish we have and hand gestures. So so it, it's it, for us. It, it's not a problem. Um, and, I, and I would say my set of fears before the trip. Uh, looked a whole lot different to to Jason's fears I think I think um I think I was thinking about all of those things that he's just said but in, in the forefront of my mind I was thinking mm, you know I my riding experience is 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 not much higher than zero so I was really worried about not being able to keep pace um not that I was concerned about Jason riding too fast or losing me but I was just concerned that I would perhaps freak out uh, a little bit and um, really hold us back in terms of where we both wanted to go, where you want to go and where you can go, sometimes two different things. And, and in the early days, in the first few weeks, um, I guess those, those fears were a reality for me, that I, that I was holding us back a little bit. Um, yeah, fear of falling over, really hurting myself, that the bike um, tumbling down a hill with me in tow, you know, down a sheer drop. Um, there, there have been a couple of occasions when I've been blown off the road because the wind's been really fierce, but I haven't, you know, been blown over the edge. I've just, I've just, you know, been blown into the dirt, the hard shoulder, or whatever. Um, and and also fearing as well how I would fare, um, medium to long term. You know, a year and a half, two years, whatever we might be travelling for. Um, for. I think it's it'd be at least around eighteen months. Fearing how I would fare so long term. You know, I was really worried that after maybe couple of months I would just turn around to Jason and say oh I absolutely don't like this I'm going home goodbye <laughs> you know which would pretty much could make or break a relationship as well but thank thank goodness you know that's not happened um yeah and, and fearing fearing as well uh, falling out uh, permanently <laughs> with Jason I guess that that was it may have been an issue but you know luckily we've had um you know uh it, over a year together um traveling and we've we've worked together on a boat for months on end you know where you've only got um you know, 20 30 meters of space to play with but yeah I've um I guess they were my fears before setting off which were maybe a little bit different from Jason's if you guys were going to give yourselves advice you know if you went back in time what advice would you be giving yourselves before you left on this trip it's not as scary as you might imagine I think is is the biggest one. Um, but the things that you think are going to happen don't, and uh, and and the things that do happen, you just you you, do, you don't imagine will happen. Um, <laughs> and like I, I need to, I suppose I need to elaborate a bit more. That the people we've met and and uh, the places we've seen, um, I, I I hadn't imagined that that, that would happen and. And the, and the and the worries um, that um, I had before the trip they've just evaporated there's not um, 
and and it changes you. Uh, that's that's the one thing as well. It it changes your outlook on life, uh, and in a way that I di I didn't imagine it would. So I, I would say, mm. I say they're probably the the, the the they're probably the things the advice that I would give myself is don't worry about it. Just get on your bike and do it. Yeah, yeah. You be you naturally become a lot more capable and resourceful and you become much much better at problem solving and and handling things when the, the, they are least expected and all the things that you, you can't foresee and you, you can't expect you, you just I guess more you just get a little bit used to not having that control anymore um you know a couple of days ago we were we were riding from um a very remote part um, over over to Salta, we did 176 miles, and it's it was quite amusing because um, weeks and weeks ago, when we were in Santiago, Jason had the foresight to purchase and order two spare tires, uh, one one my back tire and, and a front one for Jason's, and he um, and he thought nothing more of it, and we got a friend to send them to Salta, um, and, and we knew that they were waiting our pickup um, yesterday when, when we arrived in Salta. And we thought, yeah, we'll just carry our spare tires. We could see the wear and tear on our, on our tires. And we thought yeah, at some point we'll probably carry these tires to, to, to Bolivia if we're lucky. We'll carry, carry them around. But 23 miles from getting to Salta, knowing that we had these two tires to pick up, 23 miles from reaching Salta, we, we pair of us got a flat tire. We, we each got a flat tire uh, at the same time. Um, <laughs> on the aforementioned uh, tires that needed replacing, we thought, Bloody hell! Isn't that a fantastic example of um, an uncanny coincidence? And the, and the tires waiting for us are the exact tires that got the flat tire uh, in our bikes. And it was just funny because you know we were 23 miles, and and my God, were we happy that we had a little air compressor to to get us back? And I think we we must have stopped eight or nine times in 23 miles just to keep filling the tires up and just to keep cajoling them along to to get us into the city. And to tell you what, when you're riding with an absolute flat tire on the back it makes sand riding look positively simple <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about those bikes for a minute let's talk about what uh, mods you did for those bikes or to those bikes and um which worked for you and which you would do again i, I think i uh, initially and I, i'm gonna i'm just gonna digress a little bit originally i had a, a bmw 1200 gsa because charlie borman and ewan mcgregor had a gs 1200 um and i thought well that must be the perfect bike to go on and I, and I was totally naive when we started planning for this trip i didn't have any idea of bikes or weight weight issues when it came to off-road riding because i didn't really have much off-road experience at the time so um and i i kitted it out with the entire back catalog of uh, torotex back catalog and i remember my shiny new bike bike with all its bits and bobs bells and whistles yeah i was at a, a motorcycle event and austin vince was there um oh, yes. a guy that had ridden around the world twice and uh on a little battered 350 dr i believe it was um and his bike was there and it got the panniers from uh, an army surplus store slung over the, the sea and the chain that he locked the bike up with looked like it'd come off a tugboat and um, it, we were having a chat and uh, we were talking about our trip. And he said to me, so uh, where's your bike, Jay? And um, it was in a sea of other bikes at this event. And I said, oh, it's just over there. 
not really wanting to show him my bike with all its shiny bits and bobs on it. And he went, no, 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 come on, let's have a look. Let's have a look at your bike. So uh, we went over to uh, the bike and, and I felt such an idiot. <laughs> and, and to be fair, Austin was... That's very... not the word you used. <laughs> no, it's time. not the word I used. But to, to be fair, Austin was very, uh, very nice. And he said, you know, Jay, he said, you know, that bike, you know, in Europe, great, fantastic. It's a fantastic machine. But, you know, that bike is going to dictate where you go. You won't dictate where it goes. And... I think I already knew this, you know, the seed had already been sown, he just poured water on it. And um, the following day, the bike uh, was on eBay, uh, <laughs> and I sold it. And uh, I, I wrote to Austin, I said, oh, I've, I've, my bike's on eBay. And he went, what? It's just my opinion. I said, no, 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 no. I said, no, you're right. I said, I already knew, I already knew the answer to a question that was, was, was bugging me for a while. And um, and you just basically you just poured water on on this seed that had already been sown. So the bike went. I went for a, sh a smaller bike, which was the uh, 800. I didn't want to go at really any smaller because for me I needed the compromise of comfort and 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 I do prefer a bike with a bit of power. I'm not I, I'm not the kind of person that can ride a C90 around the world. It's just not my thing. Um, it's uh, something that I felt was a, a reasonable compromise, although to be fair, the, the 800 isn't much lighter than the 1200. And I've gone for very minimal alterations to the bike um, because I didn't feel that a, a lot of the stuff that I had on my 1200, I didn't really need. Um, so I changed the seat. Um, I've, I've put an Airhawk seat on the seat. The two, the two things that... I think let my bike down are the next to useless screen and the iron hard seat. So what I did was I put a, like an inflatable cushion on um, on the seat called an Airhawk seat, which is um, which you can adjust, and, and that has made a world of difference to uh, my comfort. Um, and also the screen. Um, I got rid of and I changed it for a Touratech uh, Deserto fairing, which is incredibly expensive, but um, it does the job great. And I think it actually makes the bike look better as well. Um, and the panniers, mm. I've, I've gone for, for um, hard panniers because I'm carrying quite a bit of tech. So I wanted to um, make sure that that was secure. Um, I did... I did deliberate over over soft panniers, but um, like I say, the the tech was important. I needed the security, and and as it turns out, because I dropped my bike quite a lot, um, it actually protects the bike as well. So um, I've got some uh, engine bars on on the bike, and and the combination of the hard panniers and and the and the engine bars uh, has protected the bike. The bike has not been damaged in any way. And I've got some um, uh, hand guards. I think they're BMW hand guards as well, and and they protected the the levers. So, so all in all, that's about as much um, modification that um, that's uh, happened to my bike. Um, 
And on, on mine, I um, Jason bought me for Christmas a, a, a belly pan, a sump guard. It was like a, a <laughs> it's, it's an additional protector to the original belly pan that comes with the F650. He, he bought it me for Christmas, Jim, and I was I was actually I was like, wow, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> what, where's it going? What am I doing with this? <laughs> but but then uh, 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 that's. That's one of the modifications on my bike. Um, not much else, really. I've got hard panniers as well. 18 months ago, though, someone asked me exactly the same question. said, oh, what are all the modifications on your bike? I said, oh, well, yeah, I, I put her name on her. You know, she's got a pearl on her. Is that a modification? <laughs> but, but apart from that, yeah, I've, um, I'm pretty much riding the bike as, as she always was in her original state. Um, yeah, she's, but she's, she's a little trooper with my pearl. <laughs> yeah, often I think uh, the modifications people end up doing um, really, um, uh, they're at the detriment of reliability, it, depending, you know, but um, you, you start getting into doing wiring and things like that. And unless you really know what you're doing, you can quite often create problems that you would have otherwise not experienced. Uh, I think that's an important thing for people to remember when they're doing anything on their motorcycles, because quite often people are enthusiastic about riding, they're riders, but they're not necessarily mechanics. And um, even when you take it to a mechanic, you have to make sure you have a good mechanic because I've seen many over the years that have done things that um, are not of the best quality. So it's important to remember that as we're, mm. as we're making our, our modifications, which we all seem to love so much. You mentioned the, the engine guard, Jason, on your F800. No crash bars on that? Uh, well, the, the actual uh, the engine guard actually comes up high. Uh, I think it's um, SW Motec that makes the... Um, makes the the bars because when i bought the bike i bought it second hand it originally had the bars on so um i don't know but i believe the 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 um sw uh, motex uh, engine bars and they actually come up very high they come up up the side of the tank so um they pretty they do a pretty good job yeah, oh they do uh, a one job. one more thing that i did forget um it did come with a, an aftermarket belly pan as well which is probably the most important bit of kit because my belly pan has took a, a quite a hammering, um, so so for me um, the belly pan, the engine bars, uh, the fairing, and the seat were all um, modifications that I think um, if uh, were very important to to make, if not essential. We we are as well. We are carrying extra fuel in um, just you know a little red fuel canisters on the back of our bikes we we didn't go for um extending uh you know bigger fuel tanks we we um in fact yes a couple of days ago i i, I clocked that i'd done about 240 miles um on one tank of fuel and you know and that's pretty much enough for, for our to be for our needs but we, but yeah in terms of um not wanting to get caught out of course we are carrying extra fuel just on the back of our bikes um just just in case sort of thing but yeah um I'd say that's pretty much it, really, for our bikes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I do sometimes wish my bike had protective bars around the outside. <laughs> uh, although, to be fair, when because I've got um, hard aluminium panniers, when when my bike does go down, uh, nine times out of ten, the panniers do an amazing job of protecting my bike, um, protecting the engine, and protecting um, you know the bike from from being damaged, which is great. And, and also, the panniers do a really good job nine times out of ten from protecting me as well um, and protecting my legs, although I did, I did get trapped under one the other day, which is why I say nine times out of ten. But, yeah, more often than not, the, the panniers do a pretty good job 
um, everything should have a dual purpose, shouldn't it? Whatever you're carrying, whatever you're doing on on these trips, and and that's certainly that's certainly its second second use, one of its second uses. That's a good point, Lisa. How tall are you, and um, do you have any trouble reaching the ground on your bike? Well, that's a, uh, that's a great question, actually. I am five foot five, and in, uh, eighteen months ago, um, when I think it was about eighteen months ago, when I invested in in my bike, I specifically opted to go for a factory lowered F650, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not particularly tall. I'm not particularly, um, vertically challenged. Um, but, be, but being on a factory lowered bike in the early days was, was amazing for me because my confidence and my riding ability wasn't fantastically high. So going on a factory lowered bike was amazing. Although now I am at where I'm at, um, it, it's a bit of a it's a little bit of a hindrance sometimes because it's factory lowered I, I have hardly any ground clearance and going over um lumps and bumps all the time I'm, I'm I constantly hear a scraping sound um underneath where where luckily I've got that sump guard on so it really protects underneath my bike but because I am a, on a factory lowered bike it, it is um sometimes sometimes an issue um what Jason can clear and, and go over pretty fast and no issues at you know I'm scraping over um I, I have actually um no I haven't Jason actually has just put on um, a brand new set of tires on my bike he's just replaced my back tire and it's it's a it's a Heidenau K60 Scout dual sports tire oh get me I know the name and he's and and this this tire um he took off my uh, a 130 mil width tire the, the Heidenau and he put on another Heidenau which was 140 width and I kid you not, this old tyre, which was squared off, worn down, paper thin, and completely battered after doing 10,500 miles, comparing it to this, this new tyre, uh, it's, 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 this tyre is round, and it's, it's huge. It, it just seems so much bigger. It's only 10 mil wider, but it's much taller. This, this, this tyre is much taller in terms of uh, its, its circumference and its radius. And now it's, on my, now it's on my bike. It's really lifted my bike up a good couple of inch yeah a couple of inches and so now I actually feel like I'm on a, a proper motorbike you know I'm now on my tiptoes whereas before I was absolutely flat-footed just to give me that confidence in the early days but now I'm on this now I've got my my, my new fat tires um I really feel like um, I'm a proper biker now <laughs> proper biker chip yeah so you're very tuned into the the bike height that uh, even a new tire um is a difference for you that, that's interesting what's your inseam Lisa 29 inches I think so you found that now that you're getting the hang of riding that the um you could handle the extra height and tippy toe it and just you know shift your hips and you'd be fine yes and I and I also wish uh with the luxury of hindsight that I hadn't gone for a factory lowered bike I wish that I had gone for a standard bike and perhaps um adjusted the the bike um in terms of maybe the seat to, to make it a little bit lower but I wish I wish I had a, a much greater ground clearance than I've currently got. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love riding my bike. It is amusing though. Sometimes when Jason does just ride it, you know, over something really technically way out of my depth, he, when he rides it, uh, occasionally he doesn't do it that often. But when he does jump on my bike and I see him riding it, he just he just looks like a pizza boy, right? You know, he looks incredibly huge on this really little bike. Um, but yeah, uh, I would absolutely go for a standard size bike um, next time round. But, but you know, it's it, it's all good, really. It's all good. When I um, took my little two day intensive course off off road riding course, 
they they teach you that it's an absolute myth that you need to be flat footed that it gives you more control and it gives you more stability they teach they they teach you from day one how to ride you know if 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 you are um you know, not, not as tall as you, you, you'd want to be. Um, for example, if you know, they, they taught me how to ride a 1200 on day two. So I jumped on, um, you know, the BMW R1200 GSA and, and, and they made me trail ride until I was comfortable riding it and, and showed me that, you know, just they just showed me the technique on how to, you know, just put one foot down sort of thing. And in fact, I'm a lot more stable when you are in that position, when, when you're one foot down and, and you are the legs just sort of um, hanging over the saddle sort of thing. And, and because of that, um, you know, in an in an emergency, I would be able to ride Jason's bike. Um, I'm sure of it. <laughs> so yeah, I I I um I shouldn't have gone for the factory load bike, but in the early days, it was fantastic. You know, I just and and, and to be to be honest with you, my my bike sometimes more than Jason's really magnetizes people to to us. You know, that as soon as I take my helmet off and and they can see that um you know I'm a, a woman riding. At, what might be classed as a slightly bigger bike I don't know but it really draws people in and, and so many little little old ladies have come up to me and said oh please, please can I sit on it please can I have my photo taken I'm like yeah of course um fire away you know line up line up mm-hmm. T- 10 10 pesos ago mm-hmm. loads of women love coming up to my back and saying yeah I could ride this it's not too high is it? it's not too bad it's not too shabby at all just you know <laughs> feel free so yeah the bikes really draw people into us and uh, that isn't that fantastic uh, isn't that a fantastic aspect about all of this um you know r- adventure motorcycling is that you know the the people that you meet on route um but yeah my bike certainly had a massive part to play in that and she um she certainly draws the the, the iphones and the cameras to her all the time which is um which is really good one of the most difficult things to deal with, I think, when we're riding is being soaking wet and um, dealing with extended wet periods where your gear gets wet and you're having to put it on wet in the morning. Have you guys dealt with wet riding yet? Have there extended periods of wet riding? We had a little bit in southern Chile, but um, we've not experienced any uh, proper rain yet. Um, we're mo- mo- really trying of... to avoid the, the, yeah. the wet seasons. My bike doesn't fare particularly well when it's wet. She doesn't like starting. She doesn't really like it at all. That's probably me talking as much as I'm talking on behalf of my bike. But what we have experienced is, um, you know, minus seven in the mornings quite frequently. We've experienced being mind-numbingly cold. And, you know, I'm, I I admit that that is too cold for me. Um, we have, fortunately, we've, we made the investment of getting heated gloves and a heated jacket um, and that has absolutely saved my skin. I'm not um, not the the biggest of women. Um, I'm, you know, I'm fairly petite, and you know, having heated gloves and and a heated jacket has has absolutely saved saved me. Um, you know, getting dangerously cold. Um, you know, in terms of lo- losing dexterity in your fingers as well, that's absolutely the last thing you ever want to happen. Because it's dangerous. Um, so yeah, that we have experienced. Um, real chills and cold, winds colds and all the rest of it but we haven't experienced uh, a lot of wet really mm. um just to add to that I, w- I would advocate anybody that rides in cold weather to buy a heated jacket or heated gloves um we use we use gerbing um brand a bit uh, and, and the one thing that sold it to me was when grant johnson turned around 
and said once that he had a heated jacket by that brand and he said it, it, the, the, the heating element has a lifetime guarantee he said but after 30 years the jacket pretty much disintegrated so his wife just took the heating element and sewed it into a new jacket for him I thought right brilliant that's what I want <laughs> awesome. yeah it's um it, it, it makes the difference between a miserable ride and um and, and a pleasurable ride. Yeah, it's really, it really is uh, black and white in cold weather. Yeah, um, I wish I'd invested in one years ago. The, the <laughs> years of, of suffering in the UK, um, cold hands in miserable winter conditions, and, and it never occurred to me to buy um, a heated gloves or a heated jacket. But it can be it can be then sub zero temperatures. It can be like one two degrees for hours, and and there I am riding, and I've got heat around my neck and all around my major organs and all the way down my arms and my back, and it just feels like the most incredible soothing heating heated massage. And then of course when your hands are warm as well, you know you you just you're just happy then, aren't you? You're just happy long term in the saddle. <laughs> so where do you go tomorrow, and how long is the trip going to be? Uh, well, it won't be tomorrow. It will be in the next couple of days because I've got to do a few um, jobs on the bike. But we're heading to Bolivia. Uh, for me, um, Bolivia is the place that I want to go and see more than anywhere because of the the huge salt pan um, called, um, and I don't know if I'm going to get this right, Saler de Uyuni. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. It's a huge salt pan. I believe it's uh, over a hundred miles across, perfectly flat. Um, it was. Uh, it's an ancient uh, lake that dried up, and uh, you can ride across it. and And the pictures that I've seen uh, on the internet, it just blows me away. And I want to experience that place. So that's where we're heading to next. And then, and beyond that, then beyond that, we were we're definitely toying with the idea of going. Um, over to the Argentinian-Brazilian border to see Iguazu Falls. Um, Which apparently makes Niagara Falls look like uh, a running tap. Um, and then we have got a little cheeky trip planned beyond that, haven't we? Uh, yeah, we, we're going to get off the bikes in November and we're gonna, we've spent um, a bit of our cash uh, on a trip to Antarctica. So we're going to get off the bikes, go south uh, on a bus, and we're going to do Antarctica. And then from, from there on, we are heading uh, north proper. So we'll be, we, we, we've hung about in the southern part of South America purely for, to wait for this trip to Antarctica. And then from there... That's, that's towards the end of November, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And then, we, um, and then we'll be heading to Alaska. Yay. Hopefully. And you, you're not going to do that in the wintertime, of course. <laughs> no, well, the, 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 the problem um, we had, which was another reason why we sort of, sort of hung around in the southern part of South America, was the, the boat that we traveled on from, from Europe, uh, they postponed their departure time several times. So by the time we got to Montevideo, we're actually in South America's autumn slash winter so we, we're trying to realign ourselves with the good weather. So by, by us staying in South America longer, 
we're waiting for the good weather. So when we do get to Alaska, we're going to arrive in summer, hopefully. Now, Lisa, you've been doing some writing um, while you've been out on the trip. Of course, the blog, which is fantastic. If anyone hasn't seen that yet, definitely go to that. There's some great pictures and, and wonderful writing there. But Lisa, tell us about your writing. The website is twowheelednomad.com. I'm going to have to say that first and foremost. Um, yeah, my motivations for writing primarily really enjoy doing it. It's, it's, th- it's therapeutic um, after a day in the saddle. Um, I, get, I get to hone one of my favorite crafts to be creative. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's the ultimate silver souvenir for me. Um, your memories in a few years' time will inevitably start to fade. And, and I guess that written record for me um, with some of Jason's timely images is, is one of the best ways to, to document all our experiences um, yes, um, uh, they, they are. What I'm writing is also laying down some really good foundations for a few articles I've, I've been write, writing and some ride reports I've had published along the way. Um, you know, I've, I've, I'm really enjoying um, being a contributor to, for a few US and UK publications as well. Um, and, and you know, you never know, Jim. They, there might be there might be some building blocks in there for for a book one day. Um, Sam Manicum has been giving me some really great advice and some um, really strong encouragement. Uh, people seem to be enjoying what I'm writing. I hope, and um, you know, we're getting uh, we're getting some really positive feedback from from the website. The you know, my writing, Jason's photography, um, and, and Jason's videography as well, which is um, coming on leaps and bounds. I would say it's. Um, it's it's just a very positive uh, way to connect with people, whether they are just reading from the comfort of their armchair in their homes. Perhaps some some people are living their dreams vicariously through the, the life we're we're leading at the moment, and, and other people are meeting us en route. One person spotted um, a picture the other day and said, "You guys, are you are you in San Pedro de Atacama? We are too. Let's let's meet up." So we did. You know, we're meeting. Uh, an incredible number of people and having you know some amazing encounters uh, and, and, that, and that at the end of the day is what it's all about isn't it is, is the people they, they absolutely shape your trip where can people find out more www.twowheelednomad.com any Facebook page or anything uh, yes uh, the same Two Wheel Nomad name um, is our Facebook page um, corresponding to the website Lisa and Jason, thanks very much for coming on to Adventure Rider Radio and sharing your adventure so far. We'll get you back on here a little bit later on when you've done some more miles. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks Thanks a lot, Jim. Great, Jim. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Adventure Rider Radio. To take us out of this one, we're going to listen to Lisa Morris read some of what she's written for her website. You can check out their website, all the information about getting there in our show notes. Packing up our dome sweet dome, we meandered back from our intensive little visit to the hand in the desert. Back in the saddle, I cruised at an unrushed speed, not overly aware that Jason was feeling the fatigue, a shade more than I. Seconds passed, and unbeknown to either of us, he fell into a micro-sleep at 50 miles per hour. To his horror, he wakes up to the jolting realisation of what had but more so could have happened, sending a 240-volt shock through his core. In less than 20 metres, he pulls over under a no-arguments instruction from me, after which Jace passes out on the roadside. He is soundly snoring seconds after his head hits the ground, assuming the stance of a slumbering starfish. 
It was a wake-up call needed to shock us both into realising we were overdoing it. Best not let that happen again. Hi, I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. And we are Two Wheeled Nomad, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. My name's Graham Field, Overland Travel Author from the UK, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Hey, don't forget to go by the iTunes website and rate our podcast. Drop by our website, send us a comment, drop by the Facebook page, like the Facebook page, make a comment. We want to hear from you. Now get out there and ride your bike and ride safe. I'm Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you by Canoe West Media. This is Dave Barr, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. I'm a traveler, motorcyclist, and author, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 